Praise God, brothers and sisters. It's great to be in the house of the Lord, especially on a nice day like this. You know, in our region where we live, nice weather is a scarcity, so people usually take advantage of it, and it's great that you made the right choice to be in the house of the Lord. Praise God. Um, brothers were saying that they were grateful, for, for, grateful uh, or thankful for the wonderful weather and I would like to add that I'm also grateful not only for the wonderful weather, but also for the ACs. For those people who have ACs, it's really good. Otherwise, if it's too hot, it's hard. Um, but today, I'm going to be speaking about love. My topic is about love. And it's not the kind of love that you're thinking about. I mean, I've been where you guys are. Um, I've been in youth. So I can relate. Um, but... Since I've been married for almost, not almost, but over 12 years, um, I wanted to share a little bit about marriage, just kind of like a, a prelude to my, to my message, um, because I feel convicted to encourage you, um, younger folks who are on your path of getting married soon, and just want to make sure to encourage you that, tell you that marriage is amazing and marriage is great. Um, I, I see a lot of people... Uh, just kind of wanted to make a couple points, just kind of go off my off my topic a little bit. But I, I see a lot of people where they're kind of like uh, nitpicking, you know, finding the right person, finding the perfect person, and sometimes they take very long time to get married. Um, don't overthink it. If you found a godly man, if you found a godly woman, godly guy, godly girl, just go ahead and get married, and God will bless you. Um, I've seen situations where people would kind of nitpick and take forever and then they end up either getting married too late or not getting married at all. But I'm sure God will give you wisdom to make the right choice at the right time. Um, another thing, I see people delaying in getting married because they see there are issues in marriage because, you know, there's issues in church. Maybe you see some married people have issues or divorce and, you know, other things. Uh, let me tell you that godly people, truly godly people, they're very happy in marriage. So once you get married, um, and you are, if you're a godly person, then you will have a great marriage. And then once you do get married, a very important factor is to stay connected, stay in church. I see this as a huge sort of pandemic. There's a lot of people who get married and then they vanish from the church. They're gone. You see them as if they were trying to achieve a certain goal, and once they achieve the goal, they're gone. That's wrong. That's bad. Stay in church. It will bless you. It will strengthen your relationship between your spouse, and it will make you a happier individual, a happier Christian, and a stronger family. For example, we gather, we have uh, fellowships with, our, um, with other couples and it's a huge blessing because you get to know people that you didn't know before. You grow together, you become a family, you become a true body of Christ. And you cry together, you laugh together, you share happy moments, you go on trips together, you celebrate things, and you learn from each other. You know, we all go through certain things in our lives. We have, you know, uh, difficulties, but when we share with each other, uh, we are able to support each other and to grow. So, just a little intro. It's... It's a topic of its own, but just to kind of wanted to encourage you and um, get married whenever the right time comes. God bless you in that. Um, but I'm going to talk about God's love. 
And um, if, if you think about what Jesus did for us, what he did for us on the Calvary, on the cross, um, what he did for me, he died for my sin, he died for your sin. If you think about when he had all the glory in heaven and he came down to this earth, he became a human being, being God himself, he died for us. He went through this very difficult road where people were mocking him, they spat upon him, they basically tortured him, but he still did it. He did it because he loved us, because he made that choice of love. And if you think about this, um, there is nothing else that motivated Christ to die for us than love. There's nothing else that motivated Christ and brought him to the Calvary, to the cross, than love. Bible tells us that God demonstrates his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And by this, love of God was manifested in us. This is what Bible tells us, that God proved his love towards us by sending his son into this world. Um, if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 13, I wanted to emphasize the last verse of 1 Corinthians 12:31, verse 31, where Apostle Paul, he talks about spiritual gifts. And then at the very end of the chapter, he says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And then in chapter 13, he goes on and talks about love. Chapter 13, 1 Corinthians is a central chapter of the Bible uh, about love. It talks about love. When we look at chapter 12, um, Apostle Paul tells us that all these spiritual gifts are great. They're amazing. We're supposed to be seeking after, their, after them. We're supposed to be, as Christian people, we're supposed to be um, trying to achieve and desire the spiritual gifts. Yet, he says that there is a more excellent way. The more excellent way is love. And if you look at chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, he basically explains this more excellent way. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3, I'm going to read. If I speak with tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy uh, gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. When I was younger, it was really difficult for me to understand this passage. How can a person, Christian, unchristian, have all these great things in their life? You know, if you're a Christian having all these spiritual gifts, you're able to you know, speak in different tongues, you're able to prophesy, you're able to even, you know, as far as giving your body, surrendering your body to be burned, to be, uh, to be killed, yet not having love. How can a person do such a thing? Yet it is possible. If you think about it, there are people in this world that do a lot of the things not in the name of love, meaning God, because we know God is love, not in the name of God, but in their own name. There's people who might even be Christian and they have spiritual gifts, they might be casting out demons, they might be doing a lot of different miracles, 
At the same time, they're not building the image of Christ. They're not building the name of God. They are building their own name. They're doing it for their own glory. And that is where Bible tells us, if you do something, it doesn't matter, big or small, you can be donating a lot of money to charity, building schools, building hospitals, drilling wells in Africa. Yet, if you do that without love, or if you don't do it in the name of love, but if you do it in your own name, as bad as it sounds, it profits you nothing. That is nothing. Dear friends, this is what distinguishes a Christian person versus a non-Christian person. A wealthy person of this world could be donating millions and billions of dollars to humanitarian aid, to philanthropical type of work, but they are doing it for the sake of building their own image, for the sake of building their own name. So people would look at them and, tell, and say, you know, look at this guy. He's such a good giver. He's such a good donator. He built schools. He built hospitals. And then the person feels good, the person feels good within himself. But as Christians, God tells us and Bible calls us that whatever we do, it doesn't matter if you have gifts or if you don't have gifts, if you donate money or a lot of money or not a lot of money, everything that I do, I'm a servant. God is the one who is worthy of all prayer and of all praise and of all glory. I'm just a servant and I allow him, I allow his work, his glory, his spirit, his power to work through me for the benefit of the people. As we saw in one of the videos that sister showed to us her missionary trip to Mexico, on the shirt it said, love God and serve people. That's what we are called to do. We know that God is love. That's what Bible tells us. And when we, t when we speak about love, it's such a, a vast and, and, and big topic that it's really hard for us to pinpoint and, and, and basically say God is this or love is this. There's like so many different angles. There are so many different sides. As a, a, a God person will never be able to fully understand God. The closer we get to him, the more we pray to him, the more we seek him, the more he reveals to us. And he reveals to us from different sides, different angles, very similar with love. We can talk about it, we can share certain aspects of it, and depending on where we are in our spiritual journey with God, we might see love in a slightly different angle. But whatever we know, God reveals to us, whatever we understand, we share with each other, and we encourage each other so we can move forward towards our goal, which is heaven. And so, the Bible tells us that the more excellent way is not spiritual gifts. It's not the fact that you can take your body and give it for, for it to be burnt, for it to be killed. The more excellent way is the way of love, is the way when you do things for God in the name of God. So, what is love? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the central chapter of the Bible that talks about love. I'm going to read the characteristics of love. And what I'd like you to do is I'm going to go through the list is instead of, so it, it goes like this, love is patient, love is kind, and so on and so forth. So instead of love, put your name in there. So you can be, for example, Mark. Mark is patient, Mark is kind, Mark is not jealous. Is he really though? Go ahead and put your name 
as I go through the list and analyze yourself and test yourself and ask yourself, are you really that person? So let's go ahead and do it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be gone away. If there are tongues, they will, be, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. But love will never fail. Why? Because God is love. And God will never fail. He will never stop. He will exist forever. We, a couple of weeks ago, we gathered together with our, uh, our group of, of couples, as we usually do, um, and we always have really amazing discussions. So whenever you get married, you're always welcome to come join. And we have a younger group for those of you who think that you know, we're already older and you know, we are on, a, I guess, a different level now, age-wise. But so the, the question was asked, uh, give me a definition of love. So each person gave us a definition of love with one word. And this is the list I'd like to share with you. Love is unconditional, it's sacrifice, it's dedication, it's compromise, it's protection, it's selflessness, it's diligence, it's work, faithfulness, happiness, action, covenant, perfection, choice. If I were to ask you, what is love? I'm sure each of you will be able to give me a different definition. Like I said, that love is, is so big and, and so, such a vast topic that you can look at it from so many different angles. And all of those angles would probably be right. When we look at Christ as our perfect example of love, when we look at what he did for us, when he came to earth and he died for me, he died for you, he died for each one of us, what did he do? What was his love driven by? It certainly was not driven by emotions. His love was driven by choice. He made a choice to die for us, and he walked his path until very end. Today, many people, they say that, or they have issues because their love is ending, because their love is growing cold, because their love is drying up. People can't love their husbands, their wives, their brothers, their sisters, or their neighbors, maybe the way they did love them when they just came to God, when they repented, they were on fire for God, they wanted to hug the whole world, they wanted to love everyone, and then time goes by, their love grows cold, and people get themselves into this a net, in, into these issues, into, into these problems. Dear friends, if... I have made a choice to follow Jesus. I'm sure most of you here have been baptized and you are members of the church. If you're not, you will soon be. And if you are on the borderline, it's a great thing to be part of church, to be part of a whole community. May God bless you in that. But when we look at Jesus Christ and what he did for us, and we look at his love and his choice of love that he made it doesn't matter how he felt or what he was going through he made the choice and he walked his path until the end you know what does that mean for me it means that 
you know, sometimes I might have a bad day. I might not be in the right mood. You know, sometimes somebody might hurt me or they might say something painful or they might say something untruthful, untruthful or post something inappropriate or make some kind of joke about me. What does that mean? It means that as a Christian person, if I have committed myself and my love to Jesus, if I have made that choice of love to follow Christ, I'm supposed to follow him and I'm supposed to um, be with him on his side and be a true Christian person until the end. doesn't matter of the circumstances. If we look at Jesus Christ, and if he was driven by emotions, then back in the Garden of Gethsemane, when betrayer came, he would have prayed to his father, who would have sent him more than 12 um, legions of angels. He would have sent him an army of angels who would be able to protect him and who would be able to stop everything that was going there. If we look at Jesus Christ, if he was driven by emotions, then walking to the, to the cross, walking to the Calvary, when he was all, all beaten and torn, and um, he didn't even look like a person, Bible tells us. He was so, such, so tortured, his body was all ripped in pieces. At that moment, if he was driven by emotions, of all the pain and suffering that he had to go through, if he would have called to his father and asked him for help, the Father God would have wiped out all those people from the face of the earth in a moment, in a second, and protect Jesus Christ. But Jesus did not do that. Why? Because he once made a choice. He once made a commitment. He made a choice of love to walk his path until the very end. And that is what Bible calls us to do. It, what, that's what Bible calls me to do. When I made a choice to follow Jesus, when I made a choice to, um, to love him, to love those people that surround me, my brothers, my sisters, my wife, my, uh, my husband, my, um, my neighbor, to, to love them until the end. When we look at Jesus and of everything that he had to go through, everything that he had to suffer, and we compare our lives, our sufferings and our hardships are nearly nowhere near compared to what Jesus went through. You know, sometimes people just do something, you know, they step on our toe or they do something or they say something against us, and here we are. We show ourselves. We show who we truly are. You know, we start going to government authorities, we go get pastors involved, we go to judicial systems, we, we try to show people and prove to them that I'm right, you're hurting me. But Jesus didn't do that. He had all the right. He had all the power, but he didn't do that. Why? Because he made the choice and he walked his path to the end. Dear brothers and sisters, if you have committed your life to Jesus, if you have made that choice, May God bless you that you would stay on that path until the very end. Because that is true love. It's your choice towards God. There's one man, um, there's this actually song that we sing. It's called, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. Do you guys sing this song here? I have decided to follow Jesus. It's a great song, huh? So, it was actually interesting. The story, I don't know if you know the story behind the song or who wrote the song. I'm going to read you. Actually, it's a really short story, um, the background of this song. I have decided to follow Jesus as a Christian hymn originated from India. The lyrics are based on the last words of a man in Garo Assam. About 150 years ago, there was a great revival in Wales. As a result of this, many missionaries came to northeast India to spread the gospel. The region known as Assam was 
comprised of hundreds of tribes who were primitive and aggressive headhunters. Into those hostile and aggressive communities came a group of missionaries from the American Baptist missions spreading the message of love, peace, and hope in Jesus Christ. Naturally, they were not welcomed. One missionary succeeded in converting a man, his wife, and two children. This man's faith proved contagious, and many villagers began to accept Christianity. Angry, the village chief summoned all the villagers. He then came, called, he then called the family who had first converted to renounce their faith in public or face execution. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the men said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Engraged at the refusal of the men, the chief ordered his archers to arrow down the two children. As both boys lay twitching on the floor, the chief asked, Will you deny your faith? You have lost both your children. You will lose your wife too. But the man replied, Though no one joins me, still I will follow. I have decided to follow Jesus. This is very powerful. This is a very touching story. May God bless us that we would follow Jesus and stay faithful to him as this man did. So if you are sitting here tonight and you're testing yourself, maybe Holy Spirit is convicting you, maybe your, your love has been growing cold, maybe it's drying out, and maybe you find yourself you're not as on fire for God as you once were, what are you supposed to do? The Bible tells us, Romans 5.5, 5, is that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So in order for you to receive more love, you have to go to the source. We know the source is God. So if your love is growing cold, what does that mean? It means that you are distancing yourself from God. It means that your relationship with God is distancing. There is no other explanation. Because if you were very close with God, if your relationship would be very close with Him, then your love would only grow. It would not grow cold. It would only grow exponentially. It would grow and it would become stronger and it would become more powerful. So if you're finding yourself that as you went through that list of all those love characteristics that maybe um, you are failing somewhere, maybe you don't have enough patience, maybe you have pride, maybe you have arrogance, then you know there's an opportunity for us to come to Jesus, to repent, to ask him for forgiveness and ask him that he would pour out his love into our hearts through his Holy Spirit. Whenever we pray to him, whenever we pray in tongues, whenever we sing, whenever we worship, whenever we have a personal relationship with him, that is when God pours out his love into our hearts. Whenever we seek him first, he will come to us and he will heal our hearts, he will give us strength, and he will give us power that whatever choice we made to follow Jesus, we would be able to follow him until the end. May God bless each one of us. Let's pray.